0: Let's read together from the scriptures. I want to read tonight from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I've come a long way from the time that I was converted when I was 18. I remember after being converted, I was invited along uh, to speak at Drumrea Presbyterian Church, a youth rally, and there was about 250 young people there. And um, well, I wasn't well educated; didn't really concern me. And I remember in that first night, standing up, there was a group singing called Redeemed, and um, they had invited me along to bring this wee message, give them a testimony a bit, and. Uh, I chose as my text Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1 Remember now thy creator in the days of the youth I'm speaking to young people And of course I spoke the whole night on Elegilastes, Elegilastes. <laughs> And of course afterwards then I got educated That it's Ecclesiastes It's not Elegilastes But sure I didn't know at the time The Lord knew my heart And knew what it meant And he blessed that service anyway uh, to the young people. We're going to turn to Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 8, and we're going to read a few verses there. Let's read the Word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen, and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, my text tonight is taken from Ecclesiastes, chapter 8 and verse 4, and it reads, Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? Now, I've entitled this message, understanding the word of a king. Now, after preaching last Lord's Day evening, 7th of May, and remember we preached on a prayer to save the king, God save the king, a wonderful sentiment. We often hear it here in Northern Ireland, one that was being expressed over the coronation weekend, and one, of course, that's sung as part of our national anthem. Well, I went home And I was thinking of the word king. The word king was in my heart and mind. And I looked up Bible Gateway and I discovered 2,504 times the word king is mentioned in the Bible. If we take all the references to king, kings, kingdom, 2,245 in the Old Testament and 259 in the New Testament. And I was blown away. And as I started to read through these references here on Thursday... One caught my attention, and that was Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14. God says, for I'm a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And I thought, Lord, that's a wonderful statement of fact. That's a great truth. I've never preached in that. I've never heard a sermon preached on it. I might preach in that on Sunday night. So that text was in my mind. And then as I read on, I discovered another text that really jumped out of the page at me, and it was this text. Ecclesiastes 8 and 4. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest I? You see, these words, no doubt, came from the lips and the pen of King Solomon. He is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing in the context of being an earthly monarch on a throne. And he is thinking of being King on the throne. So you've got to think of King Solomon on the throne. He has been established as king by God for the well-being of the Jewish nation and bringing stability, I believe, for a long time uh, to the whole of the Middle East. Proverbs 16 and 12, another of those um, 2,504 references, says this, it is an abomination to a king to commit wickedness. For the throne is established in righteousness. And you see, King Solomon was a godly king. He was a wise man. He was a good and merciful ruler. Uh, And here he's speaking forth what we could really say are, are physical words. Literal words. Words that are historical. Words, of course, that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to us That these words are not to be ignored, not to be trivialized, not to be despised and disobeyed. Why? Because where the word of a king is, there is power. Now the word power there has to do with authority. And you see, as King Solomon was on the throne of Israel, he's on that throne as an absolute monarch. He has absolute authority. You see, to disobey the king, to despise the king, to to defy the king was putting yourself under a sentence of death. Ecclesiastes 1 and 12 says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And here's wise counsel. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, Ecclesiastes 8 and 2. And that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing. For he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. And you see all who despised. And disobeyed and defied the king. As far as his word was concerned. Did so upon risk. Of sure and certain death. The Bible tells us. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 20. Not to curse the king. Listen to the words. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. And that which hath wings shall tell the matter. And again, Proverbs 16 and 14 tells us the wrath of a king is as a messenger of death. Now, the earthly setting of a monarch on the throne that is established by righteousness, uttering his words of authority, is very, very symbolic. You see, tonight I want us to lift from the earthly to the heavenly. I want us to come from the literal and historical to that which is spiritual and eternal. Because remember tonight, all earthly authority is derived from God. He alone delegates authority to men, to rulers according to his sovereign will and purpose. And the king's authority, the king's power to rule, can only be exercised legally and lawfully when it is exercised in servitude and of subservience to God. And this text, Ecclesiastes 8 and 4 reflects that truth. You see, the ultimate fulfillment of these words is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. These are wonderful words, thrilling words. And yet, we live in a day when heaven's king and his words are ignored where heaven's king is defied and despised, where heaven's king and his word is treated lightly, even though they're powerful words, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Now, as I thought of this text of scripture, I thought of three things. One, the power, or or, sorry, the person of the king if you think of the words, where the word of a king is, and we'll put the word a king, I believe Solomon was thinking about himself. He was including himself. But it applies to all monarchs throughout all ages in every part of the world. From the very first mention of a king in the Bible, and that was Nimrod, by the way. He, at the beginning of his kingdom, was Babel. You've got to think of Babylon. Until the very last king. And and you can think of the kings on earth. There's a wee joke, you know, that there's only five kings left in the world. Four in the pack of playing cards. And King Charles in the throne of the United Kingdom. And Northern Ireland. But I've no doubt that there's probably other kings and queens. It's only a wee joke that somebody actually tried to tell me. But you think tonight of King Charles on the throne. Last weekend was the coronation. He he, he was crowned as our king. He was born, as I've told you, on November the 14th, 1948. And he was born one day as an heir to the British throne. He was born one day to be a king. Now, born to be king is different from Jesus Christ, who was born as king. Because if we were to contrast the two, the Lord Jesus stands head and shoulders, not only above King Charles, but above all the kings and queens that have ever come and gone as far as this world is concerned, or all who ever will come forth until Jesus returns in power and glory. I was thinking of King Charles he has access to luxury vehicles, big, lovely, black Range Rovers. He, he, he wore a very expensive crown at his coronation, Edward's crown. King Charles is honored by men. He had a day of coronation. He has members of the royal family all around him. He has access to great wealth. I don't know how much he's worth. The Lord bless him. I have no doubt that he um, enjoys the pomp and ceremony. He lives in royal palaces, Highgrove Estate, Buckingham Palace, Clarence House. But you think of the Lord Jesus in contrast. Contrast to Charles now. See, the Lord Jesus didn't come in a luxury vehicle. He come riding on a donkey. When he was presented to men by Herod and Pilate, behold your king, He was bearing a crown of thorns. He wasn't lauded by men. He's mocked and despised and hated by men. He hadn't a day of coronation when his first coming. He had a day of crucifixion. He, of course, was a member, not of a royal family, but heaven's family. He talked about my father's house. He had a day of humiliation and shame. You think of his death on the cross. He had no access to huge amounts of wealth or money. There was no pomp and ceremony. He had nowhere to lay his head. And yet, when he came into the world, the question was asked in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 where is he that is born king of the Jews? You see, at the time of his birth, when he lay in that cradle in that manger. He was king of the Jews. He was king of kings and lord of lords. During the days of his life, remember, he talked about my kingdom is not of this world. He had a kingdom. He was a king. Remember during his trial in John 19 and 14, if you look at it, it was in John 19 verse 14, it was Pilate that said, behold your king. John 19 and 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover. Passover. And about the sixth hour, that was noonday, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. And remember what they said in verse 15. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? Then the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Do you say that? And remember whenever they crucified him, what was written on the subscription John 19, verse 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It says in verse 21, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered what I have written. I have written. If you turn over there to the book of Revelation, look at Revelation chapter 17 and 14. You've got this tremendous title, Revelation 17 and 14. We read, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then in chapter 19, we read in verse 16, And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Notice these letters, King of kings and Lord of lords. They're in capital letters. They're they're made to stand out. Big bold capital letters. We have a God who is king tonight. He was born to be king. And as king, he stands head and shoulders above all the kings of this world. In fact, all of them pale into insignificance because he's king of kings. He's Lord of Lords. The word off means he possesses even them. They're under his rule and under his authority. I'm not making this up. This is not a a new, bold claim. He revealed himself as king. Over there in John chapter 18, we read these words in verse um, uh, 33. Then Pilate entered the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, that every one is of the truth, heareth my voice. That's the person of the king. Very quickly, secondly, think of the preeminence of the king. You see, if you go back to our text in Ecclesiastes, we've got this statement of fact. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Now we're going to ask the question, what sort of power? The answer is absolute power because Solomon was an absolute monarch in his own right. He had absolute authority to rule. Jesus Christ was set up as heaven's king by a royal decree, a decree from all eternity. He was king by God's decree, God's design, God's decision. Psalm 2 and verse 6, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God had decreed and appointed him king. What sort of king was he? king of creation genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 what was the first thing that was done let there be light in other words he spake let there be light and the bible says and there was light he created light to comprehend and overcome the darkness See, one of his lovely names, one of his beautiful titles is not only king of kings and lord of lords, but he's called the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. In other words, he was co-eternal with God the Father. He predates the beginning. In the beginning was the word. He was co-equal. He's another person with the Father. So there's persons in the Godhead. And not only that, you've got his essential and eternal deity coming out here, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, and in the verse 3, we read this tremendous statement. Listen to these words. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Framed by the word of God. He spake them into existence. We should understand tonight that we are thankfully a Trinitarian church. We believe in three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three and one and one and three. And these three are co-equal and co-eternal and coexist. And when God the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world, He not only sent Him as His Son, but He sent Him into this world as King. He's a real King. He's a righteous King. He's a regal King. And as I've told you, He was the king in his crib. When he lay in that manger, he was king. King in his incarnation, king in his virgin birth. He took, yes, human nature. He didn't give up his true essential deity. He was veiled in human flesh. And when he stood in flesh before Pilate, Pilate said, John 19 and 14, Behold your king, the king of creation, king in the crib. King, as far as his character is concerned, because he possesses all the attributes of deity, sovereignty, majesty, and authority. And yet, the wonderful thing is, he came to serve. For the Son of Man has not come to, um, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be a servant king, the true servant king. The emphasis on Charles's coronation was on servitude, to, to serve the people. But the Lord Jesus, he's the real, true servant king. Because the Lord Jesus came to save his people. He came to serve his people. He discovered that the way up was the way down. The way to greatness is humiliation. He humbled himself, this servant king, all the way to the cross. Can you picture tonight at Calvary? Think of him wearing that crown of thorns crushed onto his lovely brow and the blood running down his face. Can you see how he gave his back to the smiters? How he was scourged and his back run red with blood, almost as if it was whipped up into like a ploughed field. Can you see him there being paraded through the streets with with the cross until he could bear it no longer and they had to get Simon of Cyrene to to help him to carry it? You, You think of how he was spat upon, spitting in the king. There was a few people out in London who were protesting Against King Charles. And they have a right to protest. Not my king. And, and some of them were arrested. And held in jail for prison cell for, for a little time. Now of course while they have a right to protest. They haven't a right to disrupt uh, and stop people going about their, their, their lawful business. But that's another story. But can you imagine spitting in the face of the king? That's what they did to our Lord Jesus. He was mocked. He asked, who hit you? He was beaten and slapped. Why? Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was born to die. Born as king, to die as king. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Tim- Timothy, Was taught that from he was a child. Paul believed that and preached that. The king of grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor to lawbreakers. He's the king of glory. He's the king of providence and salvation. Do you know over there in the book of Acts, in Acts 17. The apostle Paul was preaching to unbelieving Jews and they they persecuted him and they opposed the gospel in Thessalonica and there was uproar and they, they came to the house of Jason and they dragged Jason out and other people that were in the house. They brought him before the magistrate and this is what they say at Acts 17 verse 7. They're saying there's another king, one called Jesus. Isn't that tremendous? They had discovered that. That, that truth had been brought home to their heart. There's another king, one called Jesus. And you see, as king tonight, he stands preeminent over all flesh. He's king of creation because he created this world. He he was king at his birth. He, he's the king of grace. He's King in regard to his holy character. He was keen on the cross, in absolute control. Power to lay down my life, power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. He's the king of grace now, the king of glory, will be fully revealed. The preeminence of the king. Very quickly and thirdly, think also of the power of the king. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And as I've told you, that word power means absolute power. Authority Remember King Charles I told you this last week Is not an absolute monarch He has no absolute power To rule the citizens Of the United Kingdom He has no absolute Authority to rule He's a constitutional monarch We would have to say tonight That parliament in a sense Is sovereign but not absolutely Sovereign because sovereignty Really lies With the people The people of the United Kingdom, the people who vote for parliamentarians, they are, in that sense, sovereign. Because they can vote to change the government. You see, the government only rules by the consent of the people. And that's the genius of the Williamite settlement. That's what happened when William and Mary, the joint monarchs, the first and only joint monarchs, were, were crowned king and queen on the throne. Did you know that there was a book written by a man called Samuel Rutherford, Scotland, he was the minister in Antwerp. He wrote a book in prison called "Lex Rex," And it was an attack on the absolute dictatorship of kings. And he made a plea in that book for constitutional monarchy. The word "lex" has to do with law. The word "rex" has to do with king. So if you put the two together, the law is king. Whose law? God's law is king. It wasn't rex, lex. The king is law. That was to do with the divine right of kings. So the king could decide what you're to do, where you're to go, how you're to behave. The king can rule with absolute authority and everybody must obey and tremble before the king. That's the divine right of kings. But Samuel Rutherford said, "No, the the rulers, the kings, and the throne has to be subject to the law of God, and there to be a terror to the evildoer, and there to be a joy to those that are righteous and good and, and and true to God in the land." But here's the Lord Jesus, and He's an absolute ruler because He has an absolute authority. And he speaks that word of authority out. We could say God has spoken. His word is absolute. His word is authority. It's interesting that Samuel Rutherford was persecuted by Charles I. July 1636, the High Commission brought his ministry in Anwath to an end because of his nonconformity. And they barred him from preaching in Scotland. And he was exiled to Aberdeen for many, many years. Then the monarchy was restored under Charles II in 1660. Good news for Samuel Rutherford, getting back to Anwulf. But Charles II, he returned to the throne in the back of Solomon pledges of religious and political liberty and tolerance for all. But once back in the seat of power, he showed his true colors. New Year's Day, 1661, I'm not making it up. Parliament, called the Drunken Parliament for some reason, passed a law, And the first law that was passed earmarked four men for public execution. One of them was Samuel Rutherford. Why? Because they hated his book. They hated this Lex Rex book that said the law is king and the king has to be subject to the law of God. Charles II broke his word. Thankfully, Samuel Rutherford died before his execution could take place. But Christ is different because Christ is an absolute monarch and his word is absolute and authoritative his word is truth and by his word he decrees what men are to believe and how men are to behave do you know tonight there's a battle going on for the souls of men do you know tonight there's a battle going on for what we're going to call biblical morality There's an overthrow of God's moral law today. Take it in the area of marriage. Take it in the area of protection of unborn babies. Take it in the area of what is a woman. Take it in the area of human rights. You see, Pilate asked the question to Christ when he discovered he was king, what is truth? And the answer would be, God's word is truth. You see, there is a supreme lawgiver. And there's no right of appeal to that lawgiver. Because the king's word is the most authoritative, most absolute, most powerful thing that you can ever hear. And it will have an effect. It will have an impact. And let me just wrap this up by bringing out this truth. Where the word of a king is, there's power. Think of the word of power. God says, "I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. God is a word of pardon for every penitent sinner. The message is the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I heard the story one time of John Wesley preaching after he was robbed by a highwayman of all his possessions, took his money in the dead of night, and he called out to the man, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. John chapter 1 John 1, verse 7. 30 years later, he's in a Welsh mining town. He's preaching at a particular um, Welsh chapel there. And uh, as he's preaching, he, he relates this story. When he was last in this area, what happened to him 30 years ago? There's a man sitting in the church, and he's under conviction. And he stood up and he said, you know what? Those words have haunted me for 30 years. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth me from all sin. And he says, I'm coming to Christ tonight, and I'm repenting of my sin. And I was the thief, I was the robber that robbed the Reverend John Wesley. You see, the word of pardon. Who has power to forgive sins? To prove that Jesus had power to forgive sins, he said to the man with the withered hand in the synagogue, stretch forth your hand. He said to the man with the bed, take up thy bed and walk. And the man walked out with the bed under his arm. What about the word of peace? Maybe you need a word of peace tonight. Would you listen to the word of the king? My peace. John 14 verse 27. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. There's many people troubled in this world. Their minds in turmoil of this, that, and the other. And they they have no peace. They have no peace with God. They know nothing of the peace of God. Because they're full of trials and troubles and, and sickness and pressures of life Have come upon them And, and who can give that word of peace Well here's the saviour Peace I leave with you My peace I give unto you Not as the world give you Let not your heart be old. You believe in God Believe also in me What about the word of provision There's none to help Oh there's one The Lord Jesus Christ We can say He can say I am thy helper. I'm thy keeper. I'm thy protector. Wasn't that what Livingstone discovered? A word of protection. He had this promise from Christ. Lo, I am with you always. He said it was the word of a gentleman. And he had that assurance of the presence of Christ with him on the journey. What about a word of promise? Remember all the promises of God in him and the book are yea and in him. Amen. And let me finish with this tonight. What about a promise when you come to die? How will you die? There's two ways to die. You can die in your sins or you can die in the Savior. Listen to what the Savior said. In John 5, 24, verily, verily, that means truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. You see, there's the connection, my word. And those that hear it and believeth on him that sent me, that's God the Father, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. Listen to this glorious promise, but has passed from death unto life. And then he adds this, verse 25, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall hear and live. And that's happening. Those that are spiritually dead are hearing the word of God. Here's a word of pardon for you. If you're penitent and you call upon me, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'll give you peace with God. You can know the peace of God. I'll help you on the journey. I'll be with you as far as my presence is concerned. Take my promises and carry them in your heart and in your mind. And here's a promise for you, even when you come to die. The Lord Jesus said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's a resurrection unto damnation. And it's for those who refuse to view Christ as king, those who want to live in rebellion to him. And you see, all the evils of the day, whether it's abortion, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's... Um, This transgender stuff, this wokeism it's all symptomatic of this evil. A refusal to recognize heaven's king, to be in rebellion to him, to to defy his word, to to make up your own laws. Judges did that. Judges 21-25, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Here's a word that determines what is truth and error. It's the word of a king. Here's a word that teaches us what true morality is. Here's a word that teaches us what truth is. It's the word of the king. Here's a word that has to do with our eternal destiny. There's a resurrection unto damnation. But there's a resurrection unto eternal life. And it's dependent on the word of the king. Lazarus come forth. Resurrected. Will you hear his voice in that last day? will your body rise out of the grave and be reunited with your soul? When you die, will it be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Because you've got the word of the king. Be with me where I am for all eternity. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who says to him, what doest thou? I want you to see Christ as king tonight. See him in his preeminence, but also understand he has power. May the Lord bless this truth to our hearts this evening.